right. Trinity Church, how are you doing today? It's great to see you. Glad for the woohoos. Glad you're here on a beautiful Sunday in September. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. It is an absolute pleasure to get to be with you. Uh, it was such a rich time up at the lake last week at um, our fall reunion. And the reason I just bring it up is simply to say this. If you weren't there, we missed you. But just know what was so rich about that time of just being together, about incredible weather, and this amazing opportunity to watch people publicly declaring their faith in the Lord and baptism. I just remember afterwards uh, our staff debriefing this last weekend just saying it was the thing that Trinity needed so much. So we're just so grateful for that and just see, and I'm grateful for what God is doing among us and look forward to that continuing forward today. So we're excited to be with you. Let me give you one thing right off the top so I don't forget. I wouldn't want to do this. Um, Hilke was up here this morning, shared a little bit. We shared uh, weeks ago about their move, uh, his new position in Orlando. One of the things we're doing on a couple fronts, we are going to have a gathering for the Hilkema family a week from today, next Sunday, the 26th. It'll be from 3 to 5 in the afternoon over an M104-105. It's kind of a drop-in event. There won't be like a consistent program, but you're welcome to stay for the whole time and engage with them and just share and love, and it'll be a rich time being together. So I want to encourage you, if you can, make a point to be here for at least some or all of that time next week. What we are doing as a church family, I love the way that this kind of gift idea kind of bubbled to the top. One of our HSM small group leaders is having a conversation with Jody, and in the conversation just said, you know, one of the things that we want to do when we get there, just knowing that it's going to be a big transition for our kids, is get Disney World passes, just so no matter how hard the week has been at school, we'll at least maybe get a chance to go over there and just uh, have a blast. And so when she heard that, she communicated that to me, and we thought, that is a rich idea for us to contribute to churchwide. So that's what we're going to do as a church family, as a gift, is we want to try to fully fund them having annual passes to Disney World and just send them off so well and with a rich thing that will just be a gift that they'll remember all through this next year. If you would like to contribute to that, you can do that via check or cash, and you can just mark that on an envelope and put that in the offering uh, box in the back, and we'll be taking funds for that for the next couple of weeks our hope is to be able to reach an amount that's going to fund that for them, and that'll just be awesome. So if you want to give to that, and we're doing all these different, we have a staff lunch this week and an HSM party for Hilke following Tuesday, and every time we're in those environments, we're just going to tell people, give to that fund, and let's give them one really big, great gift. Okay? We good? All right. This morning, it was a little more challenging putting on my socks. because I did stay up till 11.30 to watch a last minute loss. <laughs> but, and what I re remember thinking of last night, that it got fuzzy towards the end, but I remember walking upstairs. And I remember as I was walking upstairs, reminding myself of a phrase as a Bruins fan, I've learned to say for a long time, your identity is not found in your team's wins or losses. <laughs> Otherwise I'd be a very, very depressed person. So I'm reminding myself of, those, of that phrase, walking up, uh, sadly, uh, to go crash. And it reminded me, actually, this morning, that's exactly what we're talking about. Not so much what team you root for, but the, identity of, the idea of where you find your identity. And what's most important to you, and where does that fit with your relationship with Jesus? 
Is he and everything about his kingdom first, or is it somehow fit further down the road? And so we're going to look at today what I believe is probably the most important metaphor for the church that the American church needs to be thinking about right now. We're in a series called Four Metaphors. You're in week three with us. We began the first week talking about how we are Jesus's body. Last week we talked about how we are Jesus's temple. Today we talk about the fact that the church is sojourners. And we'll define that term and help us wrap our head around it. So if you have a Bible today, if you want to make your way to Hebrews chapter 11, if you have notes you either got in the back or need to get notes or want to pull those up on our app, we invite you to kind of track with us. This will be probably week two for many of our home groups getting back in emotion. So if um, you want to make sure you track on that and are ready to talk about that with your home group this week. But we're going to dive into this idea of what does it mean that our citizenship is in heaven? What does that mean? What are the implications and the applications of the reality that me, as a follower of Jesus, I'm called a lot of things? We've said that in this series, we're only looking at four metaphors. We finished in John 10 with the metaphor of sheep and shepherd, but even those five only cover a few. The church is called a lot of things in the New Testament, but this one in particular, what are the implications of being a citizen of heaven and no longer a citizen of earth? Here's our now what statement in your notes and on the screen. As you sojourn here, live obediently in the tension of being in this world while not being of it. While you sojourn here, live obediently in the tension of being in this world while not being of it. Number one in our notes today, since the fall in the garden, God's people have always been sojourners here. I want to communicate, this isn't a new concept in the, the New Testament in the church. It's always been true. Since the fall in the garden, God's people have always been sojourners here. Your Bibles are open to Hebrews 11. We begin in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Watch this. For he was looking for, to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 11 today, what many of us know is what we call the Hall of Faith. All these incredible, faithful followers of Yahweh that just continue to say, God, you said it, I can't see it, it's hard to believe it, but I'm going to go. And it begins with what we look at today is with the story of Abraham. Now, Abraham, the author of Hebrews, gives more ink to the story of Abraham than any other of these heroes, as it were, these examples that the author notes. And in that begins the thought process about Abraham with the idea that when God called him to leave what was known, he left to go to a completely unknown 
foreign place. That's the beginning, the basis of him being a faithful example to us. It was difficult to live in tents and to have the status of a foreigner. He did that as well as his descendants did as well. Not because they were about the promised land, and we've read that, but they were about the promised land. We have to be thinking that way today. They weren't about that God was going to give them a piece of ground called the promised land. They were ultimately thinking, God has promised me to be in the promised land, reunited, restored to him. That's where my eyes are set. A city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's the promise. So this passage talks about they were able to see that far out. Note the contrast between living in tents versus in living with a city with foundations. The first is temporary and incredibly vulnerable. The second is permanent and fortified. In short, Abraham could pack up, and though it took a great degree of faith and incredible application, it wasn't a cerebral idea of, wow, what a powerful thing to think about leaving my homeland to go to a completely unknown place. He had to get out and put his flip-flops on and start walking. It required action. And in the action of going, though, the reason Abraham could do that is he realized everywhere on this planet is temporary. His home, what he was looking forward to, was going to be back restored in the presence of God, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Don't miss to connect the dots that we're looking at today, because sin entered the world in the garden. As a result, prior to that, we had perfect unity, perfect community with our creator. But when sinners enters into the equation, Humanity is booted from the garden. The, the relationship with God is broken. And as a result, we await God do what only you can do. All of our religion, all of our morality, all of our religious efforts could never be enough to be right with God. So God did what only God could do. And he sent his one-of-a-kind, unique son to live this sinless life, to die a sacrificial death to be raised again supernaturally on the third day so that we could be rescued, we could be redeemed, we could be restored. That's the essence of the gospel. And that's what the gospel creates this opportunity, creates the, the option to be able to have this right relationship and home with God forever. So from the very start today, recognize that the aim of God's people has never been to create heaven on earth. That's never been the mindset. It's always been to think about leaning forward, awaiting this reunion of God in his city, not our version of it. Living as an exile here, I want to be clear though, living as an exile here never meant being alone. It never meant that we were simply disconnected from God and not with him. It means in our attitudes, in our concepts, dwelling with him while we're separated from him. Look at this great quote. I told you I was going to quote Driver's book a few times in the back part of this series, and this is a quote from his book, Images of the Church and Mission. Sojourning is not merely a matter of alien residence in a strictly literal sense. It means dwelling with God. To dwell with God is to regard one's life on earth as a sojourn. So the idea, we're not just talking about being disconnected 
We're saying in that disconnection, being rightly related to God through Jesus, but there's a space in between where we are and where we want to be. That's the disconnect, and that's what we live with in the meantime. We've used this word sojourn a lot today. It's not a common word. We don't think of it often, and I, 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 you've heard me say before, it's really important to define the term so we're all reading off the same page. Look in your notes. I've given you a couple different definitions. This word sojourn, it comes from a Greek word, to be an alien alongside. Man, that in and of itself, that just sums it up perfectly. A resident foreigner. Look at this. Literally someone passing through, so someone who isn't permanent, but watch, but still with personal relationship with the people in that locale. That's an interesting tension, right? Walk that through in just a moment. We might want to err to one side of the tension to go, hey, I'm just a passing through. This is not my home. And moving on, but you saw the second half of the word, but has close connected relationships with the people of that land. So it's not dispassionate. It's not disconnected, but it's constantly being reminded, but this isn't where I'm from and not where I'm headed. So a lot of kind of unique kind of contrasts all in that same phrase. This is very different than being a tourist who can simply drop in, be there for a while, make no connections at all, and be on their way. This is someone who lives among, but is not of. This other word we're going to see today in your notes, the Greek word foreigner, interesting, comes from two words, para and oikos. Para means close beside. Oikos literally means house. So someone who lives close beside the house. Someone living close to others as a temporary dweller. In a specific locale, as a non-citizen, look, with limited rights. That last phrase is fascinating. A non-citizen living with limited rights. I see all kinds of parallels in our current landscape today. This becomes wildly powerful if you've ever traveled, and especially if you've ever stayed in one locale for a while. The longest I've ever been outside of the States has been for three months in Germany. And when I was there on a summer-long missions trip, I, I wasn't going to stay very long-term, and anyone who's lived outside the U.S. would still call that visiting, and I get that. But it was enough to be there and, and to be among the people and to realize there's some amazing things I get to enjoy about being in this part of Germany, but I'm not from here, and I'm going to return home, and I'm just here for a while. This morning, you heard an interview with one of our global workers, and that's a group of people who really get it. We support people all over the world. Some are nationals in where they've lived and grown up their whole lives, but many, like today, have been sent to other places in the world they've never been a part of before. And in that, think about that reality. Think about that existence of living as a foreigner. You're there. You're among the people. You're there with that goal. You're not just kind of to yourself in a quiet place hoping not to leave a big footprint. You're there on purpose wanting to be a person of Jesus' influence, but it's very clear it's not your home. When laws are passed and political challenges are going on, our global workers are deeply affected but have no opportunity to make any changes. They simply work within what they have. I think there are people in this world that have this idea of being a sojourner, 
Their experience parallels our, all of our reality as Jesus followers better maybe than most any. It's a powerful lesson for us to think about and go, God, what does that look like? Look in your notes. Jesus prayed for us to be able to live out the tension of in but not of. Jesus prayed that we'd be able to live out the complex tension of being in but not of. Look at what he, he prayed for us in John 17, verse 14. I have given them your word, talking to about his disciples, they're, they're the them, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, set apart for your purpose by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So we're talking about a complex concept today. I want to make that really clear right out of the gates. And one that I think is constantly a journey of understanding, God, what does this mean? As a follower of Jesus, to be in this world, but not of it. Well, let's delve in a little further and get some more application and implications of it. Number two in your notes, there are practical expectations that God has for us as we sojourn here. There are practical expectations that God has for us as we sojourn here. That point is worded exactly like last week's point about practical implications of being the temples, collectively the temple and temples individually. So now we're looking at that same concept. What are the expectations of being a sojourner? If you have your Bibles or you want to look on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Remember, by the way, who's writing these words to the church is one of the disciples that Jesus was just praying for. Jesus was just praying for Peter in John 17. Help him know what it means to be in but not of. And now he writes these words to the church. As foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourself to the, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show res proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Honor God. I'm sorry, fear God. Honor the emperor. Man, that's a mouthful. Okay, that's Peter just kind of going, Here, here's what it looks like. He, here's kind of the, the objectives of living as a sojourner, living as foreigners and exiles is the words he used in this planet. And by the way, this is actually the third time in Peter's letter that he's used this kind of language. Look at very first verse, 1 Peter 1, 1. Look up on the screen, it says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, what, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So right from the very beginning, he's addressing his letter to God's elect 
which, by the way, are exiles. They're in but not of. Look later on in the, very, in the same first chapter, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners. It's that Greek word we looked at a minute ago. Foreigners here in reverent fear. And then when we get to chapter 2, then Paul, re- or Peter, I'm sorry, really gives the implications I've been talking to you about as exiles and foreigners. This is what I mean by that. This is the application of that reality in your everyday life, and there's a lot to it. We just read a mouthful of all these things of what it means to be people who are citizens of heaven and no longer of earth. Look at some of the implications, just quick buzz lines from each one that we read in chapter 2. Abstain from engaging in or being defined by sinful desires. Live these good lives that speak volumes in a winsome way to the unconvinced people in your world. Submit yourselves to every human authority. Can I just say, I didn't write that. Peter did. Overtly do good in order to silence the talk of fools who would want to accuse Jesus' people of doing wrong. Live as a slave to God and his will for you. Show proper and appropriate respect to everyone. Love your fellow sojourners, this family of God. Man, demonstrate not just um, greeting card kind of love, but demonstrable love to each other. Have an in-awe posture towards who this God is and the fact that you'll stand before him someday. Honor, value, the harsh, domineering, Christian-persecuting Roman emperor. Wait, what? What was that last part again? Yeah, listen. Honor, value, the harsh, domineering, Christian-persecuting Roman emperor. Now, if you think that is hard for us to hear 2,000 years later, you have no idea how challenging that would have been to be one of these first century churches that receives Peter's regional letter to the area of Galatia and is reading this letter and went, wait, what? Does he have any idea who he's asking us to honor? Not only is Rome harsh on everyone in the world, but especially towards Christians, they're persecuting us. And you want us to honor that guy? Well, let me tell you, Peter knew a lot of who he was not just asking or suggesting, but directing the church to honor. When Joanna and I had the privilege to be in Rome a couple of years ago, it was very obvious just down from the Colosseum, there was a prison, there's a picture of it. And you'll note over the top the words Peter and Paul. Two apostles that were imprisoned in that very prison. 2,000 years later, this prison has survived. Peter would not just be imprisoned by the very Roman emperor that he told the churches to honor, but that same Roman emperor would crucify him upside down. That needs to make all of us pause. We've had a hard time and, have con- and continue to have a hard time submitting to leaders over us. 
We have a lot of good reasons why we don't think it counts, why that shouldn't apply to me. I'm asking you to think about this today. And I'm not just staring out the window, I'm looking in the mirror just as much as anyone else. This is God's word about what it means to be a sojourner, what it means to find your identity, what it means to live under the flag that flies highest. And here's a simple thing. How could Peter have that kind of perspective? Back to what we read in Hebrews 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were, for, were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Peter was deeply convinced the very same Jesus he walked around with for three years, the very same Jesus he saw hanging on a tree, the very same Jesus that he saw and was commissioned by personally to be about caring and loving and leading Jesus' flock, that very same Peter was convinced there was a heaven, convinced that Jesus had gone there to prepare it for him, and convinced he was going there next. That's what allows a person to say, honor the king. No matter what he does and what degrees of persecution, this place is not our home. There are implications and applications in our lives of living here while being citizens of there. It's an easy way I've remembered this phrase this week. We are living here while being citizens of there, capital T. We learned in our series back in 1 Peter, and it challenges us, a line that we use then that I want to raise again today in your notes, which flag flies highest in your life? Which flag flies highest in your life? This is a question that only you can answer. I'm not here to answer that for you. I have to give an account to God in the very same way of the very same question. Todd, which flag flies highest in your life? Is it your American flag? Is it your flag of convenience? Is it your flag of your career? Is it your flag of your wealth? Whatever you want to ask in that question, which flag flies highest in your life, because here's the reason I ask it and why you need to ask it, is it's going to come in conflict with the flag of Jesus. There is no doubt in my life, in my mind, that you are going to have conflict as long as, as Jesus' follower, if anything else flies higher in your life than him. Let me just do this. By the way, guys, I didn't tell you I was going to sit down on the front steps. I'm sorry. So here it is for me. I've been in ministry for 29 years. And I've seen a lot of things like you would expect anyone would have in that amount of time. Uh, it was just a few months ago, in the months of May and June, that I had three conversations with people from Trinity Church. Two of them were conversations of people saying, I'm leaving and this is why. That's where the conversation would go. But where they all started, all three of them, these are people who don't know each other. These are people who do not meet together and hang out and talk. 
These are three independent people, and they all started the same way because of my, um, because of my conservative political leanings. Dot, dot, dot. And by the time the third person told me this phrase, I just had to stop him. I said, I, I, don't, I really don't care what you say next. I'm, I know, and I'm, while I'm bummed, deeply grieved that your family is leaving this community, I want to tell you my bigger concern is the Big C Church. If we are going to be a people who begin to identify with certain churches and why I will leave one and join another and then leave that one and join another based on whose political yard sign is in the front yard, we have really big problems. That is not what unifies the body of Christ. That has never been our thread that pulls us together. It has always been Jesus the way we know him is through his word. And I got to tell you, in 29 years of ministry, I've never heard that phrase once. I heard it three times in two months. Surely don't hear me pointing fingers today. Hear me asking, raising the question. For you sitting here, that might not be your issue. You might not go, well, that's, that's not my problem. I would never leave Trinity over that. But simply ask the question today, it, this metaphor begs it, what flag am I flying highest in my life and what things need to bow to it? Because the reality is we have always been a people gathered together by God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That will be the best thing about heaven is that we're not all Americans. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Look how Peter says it in the same chapter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And he's talking to a scattered church in the region of Galatia. There was no America as we know it when he wrote these words, but he wrote them to include us because we're the church, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, I want to say this just to make sure that you hear some balance today. Do we as a people, and I just mean the Christian community, and maybe even locally at Trinity Church, do we need to have some good conversations about how we live in but not of in a very difficult political season, in a very difficult social season? Right? The issues we face are not merely political. There's all kinds of challenges that we still face working through the pandemic. We need to have good conversations about that, and I don't in any way pretend to say I have all the answers. Good dialogue is really, really helpful. But what I'm asking us to consider today, God, what flag in my life flies highest? What matters most? And everything else should be subservient to that. That's what being a sojourner is all about. It's recognizing that this is not my home. I'm here for a season, and I'm going to invest the way I ought to. But my hope was never going to be found here. Those who've gone before us, <clears throat> sojourners, and this was actually 
comes from uh, an early church father from the second century. So just in maybe 100 years after Jesus' church was getting established, this also comes from Driver's book. Look at this powerful quote. These are words written about their lives. Jesus' followers then, they reside in their respective countries, but only as aliens. They take part in everything as citizens and put up with everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their home and every home a foreign land. They spend their days on earth but hold citizenship in heaven. They obey the established laws but in their private lives they rise above the laws. They love all people but are persecuted by all. Doing good, they are penalized as evildoers. When penalized, they rejoice because they're quickened into life. The Jews make war on them as foreigners. The Greeks persecute them. And those who hate them are at a loss to explain their hatred. I love that last line. We don't even know why we hate them. We just do. Christians. Man, this, this is what the people who followed Jesus, who've gone before us, this is how they were known. And that should do something to you. It should do something to me. And it is not easy in the actual daily application of in but not of. But here's the good news. That's why we have the word of God. You don't need to sit down and listen to me spout my opinions and preferences. We need to go back. What does God tell us? We just read from 1 Peter 2. Some very clear directives of how we're called to live as sojourners. That's the kind of stuff that needs to draw our hearts and play out in our actions. And at Trinity Church, that's why we revere the word of God so much. One of our core values is simply this up on the screen. The Bible is God's story. And watch, it's given to transform you. It's given to change your inside out. And it's also given to be the authority for your life. And it is what you live under, and we've got to keep coming back to that. Finally, today in our notes, number three, God has promised a home at the end of your sojourn. God has promised a home at the end of your sojourn. Love this passage from Philippians chapter three, verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Watch, watch the contrast. Their mind is on earthly things, contrasted with us, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. One thing I just want to be crystal clear about today, when I say that as Jesus' people, we are citizens of heaven, that should only spark an illicit joy. And of all the countries on the planet, there are so many incredible freedoms and protections in our country, but it does not even begin to hold a candle to the citizenship that we have that we're simply waiting to engage waiting to enjoy. It's ours. And so there's no comparison. There's no, oh man, yeah, I guess I'm saying What? In the presence of God. I misspoke a minute ago when I said the best thing about heaven will be the fact that it's not just Americans. The best thing about heaven is we'll be with Jesus. 
That's what it is. That's what it's always been about. And so there's no contrast. There's no sense of loss. And look how Paul says it. In Philippians 3, we eagerly await a Savior from there. Look at how he said it to the Roman church. Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we as followers of Jesus, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. What do we do? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In your notes, a powerful question for you and I to ask ourselves today. Am I eagerly awaiting Jesus' return that completes my sojourn and brings me home? Or have I become so comfortable and enmeshed here that I think seldom, if ever, about my true citizenship? That is no question I can ask, answer for you, but it is absolutely one I need to answer for myself. One of my favorite songs in general, but one of the best I've ever heard that summarizes the tension of now but not yet, summarizes the tension of in but not of, and this longing for home, is Switchfoot's song, Where I Belong. Take a listen.
favorite line, I'm not sentimental, these skin and bones are just a rental. Great line. I just want to remind you of what's to come. Revelation 21, verse 3, we are headed home. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Yea, God. God. This week, as you sojourn here, live obediently in the tension of being in this world while not being of it. Let's pray. Father, we look at things today from your word that are heavy. They're heavy because of implications. The truth in and of itself is something I think we can resonate with and gives us great hope. But God, we live in times that just are so challenging, challenging to sort out what does it mean to be in but not of? What does it mean to have my loyalties compete for one another? How do I fly your flag highest in my life? Jesus, you never said it was going to be easy, but you absolutely said it would be worth it. And so we say thank you. Thank you that you've given us your word to help us navigate difficult terrain. You may be here today, and we've talked so much about this idea of being here but not of it. If you're honest about the way you haven't responded to God's invitation through Jesus, you would have to admit, I'm still just of it. This is my residence, my home, and That's why I put all my hope here, because I don't know there's anything beyond. I want to tell you clearly from what we've seen in Scripture today, there is absolutely an eternity beyond, an eternity with God or apart from Him. And I want to encourage you, if you've never made the decision to respond to the gospel, to respond to this invitation found in the done, completed work of Jesus, you can A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, B, believe that Jesus is the only Savior available. And C, choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my hope and confidence in what you have done, not what I can do. And I want to simply live my life following your example. Father, this week, give us hearts that wrestle with these tensions. Keep driving home to us. This is not our home. And give us hope. Help us look up. Help us lean forward anticipating, God, what you have in store for us. And we pray above all these things, even so, come quickly, Lord. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name.